Hello humans, welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man-based fiduciary provider. My name is Martin Hall, and thanks for listening. In this podcast, we chat to an array of business leaders from different sectors to learn more about them, their market, skill sets, and knowledge. We hope you enjoy. Uh, today, I'm joined by Chris. Chris, thanks for coming along. Appreciate spending a bit of time for us. Yeah, you're, you're most welcome. I know it's been a long time coming, so I know I've been looking forward to it. Good, good. So perhaps for our listeners, as I normally start out, uh, provide a bit of background to sort of where you grew up and your school and early education. Yeah, yeah. So um, Manx is the hills, as they say. Um, but yeah, born and bred in the Isle of Man, uh, grew up here. Um, and while I've worked all over the world, um, lived here all my life. The Isle of Man has definitely always been my home. Uh, went to uh, Balcomine High School and um, uh, was, you know, at a very early age, was fascinated with anything technology. So whether or not it's video games, um, anything from the geek side of things. And as I progressed in, you know, through college and uh, through, you know, uh, high school, it was, uh, you know, that that area was always drawn to me. So while my friends and, and uh, friends were out kicking a football, I was in playing, sort of playing video games. And um, and then from a, from an education point of view, you know, I went to college, um, did uh, IT, unsurprisingly, I did IT at our local college. And and then after college, when all my friends kind of went off to university, I think, you know, as, as, as most young people do, you had that sort of decision to make. Um, I stayed here on the island, uh, got a got a job in Walton's uh, in, uh, you know, fixing and, and repairing and selling uh, computers, uh, you know, PCs. This was when Walton's was in was in Douglas in the high street. And um, yeah, and then it, from there, I mean, it was it was fantastic to sort of leave college and being able to to go and and get involved in not only the support side of things, but engaging with with people on. And I think I was thinking about this, you know, the sort of questions you might ask. And, and last night, and I think even then, you know, one of the things that I enjoyed most about that role was the education side of things, and that's something that I've carried on in my career. Um, and back then, it was educating people how to get on the internet with their dial-up modems, and you know <laughs> how to, um, you know how, how to install Internet Explorer or how to, you know, install the drivers for a, a CD writer. So uh, I did that, and, and uh, after you know, after, after, you know, I did. I was going to say, what do you think drew you to that? Particularly, was it just it was just an interest, and computers were just an interest, and therefore uh, the rabbit hole you went down. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I attended. I mean, we, we, we're going to jump back and forth here, but I attended my first esports tournament when I was about six. So I'm four, I'm turning forty this year. So um, you know, I was over in Blackpool, um, a typical sort of family holiday, and you do all the tour of the Blackpool Tower and. Um, and there was a video game tournament taking place that I remember vividly going to see. It was a Space Invaders tournament. Um, so back then, uh, you know, the internet didn't exist. There was no, no crazy prize money and, and esports as it is today. It wasn't even called esports. It was um, like cyber games or competitive video game championships. But um, so, so I was always fascinated with, with you know, video games, being able to 
whether or not it's you know a Space Invaders game or a role playing game or a racing game, fighting game. So they've always you know they've always captivated me and, and fascinated me. Um, and being able to you know apply some of that in, I guess you know in that early job in 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 Walton's my first sort of serious job, I suppose, um, selling computers. Um, there were back then there were still people coming in saying look we you know we want to buy a pc and these were these hideous ugly towers that you used to get back in the day um but you know i want a better graphics card or more memory to be able to play the latest game faster um so that was you know it, it was a joy um yes. and um i learned i learned a lot from that you know retail customer facing role as well and i and i've got two boys and and i'd love to see both the boys really go into do a stint in, in retail and do a stint. I think it's so important being able to, you know, learn to think on your feet. You don't know who's, you know, who's going to come through the door and what sort of questions they're going to ask and how to support them. And, and uh, you know, I had, I had a fantastic few years working in that role. Um, and then after that, you know, I, you know, my friends, you know, they come back from university, come back to the island with stories of how amazing off-island life is and, um, and myself and a, a friend of mine, Martin, he, um, we, we got our heads together and, and said, look, let's, let's just save up and, and go backpacking and leave the island for like three months. Um, so I, you know, I, I left my role in, in Walton's and uh, traveled around Europe for three months until my money ran out. And, you know, that, that was an enriching experience. And this was before, you know, before the euro had kicked in and each country was wildly different than the next. And, um, it, it was it was a safer time and really sort of when you say those sort of things it makes you really feel old but you know 20 years ago Europe was a lot different and traveling and backpacking around places was a lot different than it would be now um yeah and and again that that played quite an important part I think in my career in where I stepped through being able to go from one country to the next being able to form relationships with people from a different language and a different background um uh it was was fascinating and 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 did me in good stead when you know later on in my career um i would travel a lot you know i travel i worked out in different places around the world solo and and you have that confidence i think yeah. being able to do that being able to step into a different country or have a conversation with somebody with a different language and and um so yeah so that that, that you know i came back from from backpacking and with a kind of look, I, I can either go back into retail um, or start a, a you know a different career path that you know is is going to be um, take me on a different kind of pathway. And and I, at the time, I wanted to to continue that that computer and IT side of things. So I worked for a local software company um, uh, and managed their development team for eight years. So that was, you know, the software that we developed was um, corporate service software. Okay. So it was it started? You know, I started off in the payroll division, and then um, we moved. I moved into um, managing the team that looked after the um, corporate structuring software, um, the time and billing software. And to do that, you know, I didn't before I took that role. I didn't know the first thing about company formation. You know, I didn't know, you know, from nine ends to share certificates to, you know, um, form ones and and. It, it was it was you know a, a fantastic opportunity to because I had to learn these things you know I had to build relationships with the company registry with um, uh, you know the tax office um, to be able to because if you're going to develop software those sort of things you've got to understand you know the outputs you've got to understand that the form that it's spinning out is accurate 
I assume during this, I mean, to go two things off the back, I assume during this, because obviously we're going to get onto esports, you still video game, and that's still a passion of yours, <laughs> uh, I assume, at home. Oh, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you know, the, the... What was around the, in that, that kind of time? industry. Gaming-wise, what was the... So, um, that, that was more your StarCrafts and... Um, uh, th- those, I mean, obviously you've got your Doom and Quake, um, and they were being played competitively. I mean, th- there's this misunderstanding that, that esports has just came out of the blue in the last sort of two or three years, or or when you know Booga won the, the Fortnite World Cup, that's when esports suddenly appeared. Which in reality, esports goes all the way back to the 1970s. So the the first competitive video game tournament took place in you know a university out in the states. It was a game called Space War. And um, that's the first documented kind of competitive video game um, being take, taken place. And the winner won a subscription to Rolling Stones magazine. Um, uh, but, but, but video games, you know, being played in that sort of competitive um, format has, has been around for a long time. So during that time in my career, um, you know, it, it was going on. And, and while, as I said, while my mates were, you know, watching, you know, the, the football on the telly, I was looking for downloads of tournaments taking place in South Korea um, because it was being played competitively at a totally different level there. I mean, yeah. the guys playing the games, they were superstars. You know, they were on television. They, uh, you know, there they was formed teams there. Um, and... Um, were you ever any good? Uh, yeah. It, 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 say again? Were you ever any good? Myself or to go pro? Um, I'd love to say yes, but you know, it's it's like you know, it was like if if I played any other sport, you know, the percentage of individuals that are fans of that that actually get to be a pro level, whether or not. I mean, I know you're you know from from a cycling side or from a um, you know a football or traditional sports. Um, you know the, the, that that kind of top percent there that can make a. Um, a serious go to make a living out of it um, is 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 quite small. Um, so, but, but we still did, didn't didn't matter. I mean, I still play the games. I still play the games with my friends, and you consume the content. And you'd read about it. And at the time, you know, going through when I was in that job, um, internet cafes were were kind of rife. So, you, when I was traveling and, and afforded opportunities to travel in that um, that role. Um, you know, you'd seek out internet cafes and you'd, you'd dive in there to play um, uh, opportunities to play tournaments together, you know. Um, and, you know, we had internet cafes here on the island as well at that time. Um, uh, Fegan's Lounge and there was there was internet cafes there. And then in the evening, um, you know, Gary and, and the guys that would run that, I'd come down and help out with with tournaments there. And so it's always video games is, is and, and video games played competitively has always has been there in the background. Um, and you know, when when I left the software development company, um, I moved into a, a, a more financial role. So I'd taken that knowledge of company formation, of tax structuring, of, of you know, trusts and, and sort of had a conversation with myself to say, look, I can either go down this IT route um, or um, move into sort of taking that knowledge and, and kind of take my career at a separate path. And the thing with working in IT is you've got to live and breathe it and have that sort of passion to keep on top of it. Yeah. Um, just the same as, as in esports, but um, and it wasn't you know starting a family. Um, it was very difficult to 
to continue that if I didn't have the passion for um, the IT side of things, um, the software development or the the the, the hardware. Um, so stepped away from that and, and uh, you know, had a fantastic run of, of working for some really big companies on the island in the uh, the corporate space um, because I could translate geek, I think is probably the, <laughs> I'd love to put it like that on my CV, but, you know, I could, you know, I could speak with um, software, software teams that maybe were rolling out corporate software into a, a corporate service provider, but I could also have you know, be confident to have conversations about, you know, corporate structuring or, uh, you know, banking requirements or regulation or legislation um, and being able to sort of sit on both sides of the table and, yeah, and, yeah. and kind of That's translate one, that. Isn't it, that implementation side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I did that and, and a role that I took on afforded me the luxury of being able to, you know, go out and work in some different places, Marbella, Mexico City, uh, up and down the UK, you know, visiting our clients. Um, but when I was there, you know, I'd seek out, you know, what tournament was taking place. You know, was there a was there a competitive tournament taking place there? And go and started to build up a, a network of of contacts in professional um, video gaming. And and that was when the title, you know, sort of started to come around. Of oh, well, we're gonna this is called esports now. Um, so and maybe this uh, is a, a a moment just to talk about that because that's I think. A, Again, for the layman, one of the distinctions that I think is important okay. to understand the the difference between, I suppose, when people talk about esports, they maybe just think about people just sat on a sofa playing a video game, and that's not quite the same. So, do you want to maybe give the listeners a, uh, if you can draw a line in the sand between the two of them? You know what? I mean, it's it's a very difficult question to answer because. The, the esports industry is constantly evolving, and if you ask people that work in the esports world um, to define themselves and what they do, it is a challenge. Um, so, it, it, to some folks, esports is is video games played in a competitive environment with individuals watching, just the same as other sports. Um, whereas, you know, your mate sitting down on the sofa is playing you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto or FIFA or whatever may game that is, uh, that's just, you know, enjoying and playing video games. And they call them casual gamers. So that's, you know, casual gamers versus professional gamers. So your professional gamers are the ones that w- would be part of a team or an organization. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is a constant challenge because the esports industry is, is f- moving at such a rapid pace and it's constantly evolving. Um, uh, if you take an example of, you know, a typical esports organization now is, is always looking at ways to um, uh, to enhance their revenue generation, to, to, to bring in more, not only eyeballs for the sponsors that they're sponsored with, but, you know, fans to, to, to sell merchandise and shirts. And, and you've got esports awards taking on um, chess players, which is the current trend at the moment. Um, you know, you've got esports organizations taking on chess grandmasters. And you wouldn't consider chess a video game. So why is an esports organization getting involved in chess? But um, it's, you know, there's a, there is a lot of synergies between playing chess and video games. At the moment, with people on lockdown, people are playing chess online. Um, and, you know, with things like the Queen's Gambit coming out, more and more people are wanting to watch chess and watch people play chess. And um, uh, so, but then five years ago, I never would have considered, you know, going to watch an esports tournament um, and seeing, uh, you know, an org that I'm following 
also have chess grandmasters on its roster. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the esports industry is, is constantly evolving. Um, and, um, but it's exciting, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's, it can be a challenge sometimes to keep on top of it. So those, that team aspect, that organization, I, I think I read something recently again, uh, it's, it's inevitably high level. So it hit the news, I think David Beckham, I think, or someone like that, I was talking about having an esports team. So is that, when you talk about organization? He has gilded, gilded esports. Oh, right. Okay. So they, they create, yeah, so, uh, and how does that work? They create an entity and then recruit people on a contract type basis to then represent them at tournaments. Um, a mixture of both, really. You'll have some orgs that are solely ran on um, uh, that contract model. You'll have some orgs that um, operate as, you know, as from an employee basis. Um, so if you take David Beckham's um, foray into esports, I mean, his is a good example, I suppose, to show the model. So Guild will have, um, uh, will be made up of different players playing in different games. So the three games that Guild esports operate in is Rocket League, uh, Fortnite, and FIFA. So they they will have a Rocket League team. It's made up of, of three players plus a, a coach. Um, they will have a, a couple of Fortnite players, um, and they'll have a, a couple of um, FIFA players. They'll also have content creators. Now, the content creators as part of that organization, they won't be playing professionally, they will be uh, on um, social channels such as YouTube or Twitch predominantly, um, wearing the Guild Esports brand um, with their sponsors slapped on the front as well. And, and they will be creating content. They'll be playing any game that is currently you know, um, trending or, or interesting is gonna get those eyeballs and followers. Um, and then behind the scenes, you have performance directors, performance coaches, nutritionalists, marketing um, directors, um, uh, just the same as is you know any uh, any sport any sporting club does. So they they will have different um, uh, moving parts that go beyond the players themselves. We were uh, I was chatting with uh, Chris Smith, I think you know a while ago on Esports Chair, and he talked about a nutritionist and that uh, while. There's kind of your initial kind of thing you think is a bit bonkers, but the rally is it's it's a competitive environment and you need every edge you can you can get. So it's making sure that eating properly, sleeping properly, resting, all super important. That uh, yeah, you just don't really think about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and anybody listening who hasn't already watched it yet, I highly recommend is it a show which came out last weekend on the BBC, BBC iPlayer. Um, so you can binge it. It's like a box set or, and it was, it was on BBC um, on Sunday as well on, on, on normal television, um, which follows an esports organization called um, Excel. So um, they, they're based out of Twickenham. I've spent some time at Twickenham Stadium with those guys and it's, it's a real spotlight on uh, the moving parts of an esports organization and it follows their journey to, to compete um, in um, uh, you know the, the tournament of <coughs> the, you know in, in their particular league and um, but it also interviews um, you know like you said the, the, the nutritionists and the guys behind the scenes and it's narrated by um, Cillian Murphy dude from Piggy Blinders um, uh, so yes yeah, so, so um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's so many other factors that go beyond just the players that you see. Yeah. Um, and this, uh, so you know, I was going to say this. Uh, Come on, dude. I was going to say this kind of maybe not quite explosion, but the 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 bigger profile it continues to get. What do you, do you think? That's just down to obviously it's down to interest because 
nothing gains uh, momentum without interest. But uh, do you think well, why? I say maybe why now? Is that just the technology? People being able to play games also remotely into a you know into a central server, I guess things like that. Well, what are the kind of do you think the key factors are to the growth? Um, there's there's so many you know different ways to answer that one, dude. It's a really good question, but um, lockdown played a part in um in some of it especially from the betting side of things i mean the 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 betting and the gambling um side of esports is uh, it's a really interesting one um and um i I've, I've been torn over the last five years of my feelings towards the betting side of things of esports that come my current conclusion at the moment is it's um it's a positive thing to have licensed and regulated betting um uh, operators sponsoring esports uh, events, offering odds on esports events, because that's what happens in other sports. Yeah. You know, if you look at football, I'm not a football guy, but I'm pretty sure that you know some of the world's biggest teams are sponsored by betting operators. Mm. Um, and the, the same can be said with um, esports organisations as well. So having you know the the the, the funds. Um, being injected into that particular org to allow that esports organization to attract players, to invest in its in its structure, to hire performance directors, and um, and being able to sort of bet on on esports as well. Um, uh, but obviously, I mean, from a regulated and licensed point of view, and, and one of the phrases that I use quite a lot in explaining and having these educational conversations with people about esports is, you can. Uh, you can bet on the outcome of a football match, but that doesn't make playing football gambling. And you can bet on the outcome of an esports match, but that doesn't make playing esports gambling. Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing. Um, obviously, there's there's risks involved as well. Regards, you know, uh, protection of of minors, um, making sure that you know this there's regulated esports betting organisations are um, held accountable and, and on the Isle of Man here. You know, we've got the three biggest, the three of the world's biggest esports betting operators are based here on the island. So, um, and they're attracted from the regulatory point of view because our regulator understands, you know, their industry. Yeah. Um, so, so in answer to your question, though, dude, I mean, with the growth, um, you've got more eyeballs because um, a number of factors. You've got a younger generation now. I mean, I turned 40 this year um, and I'm thinking that there's 17, 18 year olds that are getting into position of decision making, of, you know, getting involved in different projects and championing what their company gets involved in, whether or not it's a bank or a payment provider or a law firm or and their, their game is just like I was and just like I am. And, you know, you've got a new generation of people coming up that are um, passionate about this industry, which are, are adding value into it, um, and also wanted to watch it as well. I mean, I, you know, a lot of my friends and, and colleagues within the industry, they will tune in to watch uh, an esports tournament over watching a traditional, you know, yeah. football tournament uh, or rugby or whatever it may be. Um, and then you've got big you've got big sponsors, non-endemic sponsors. So these are the sponsors outside of the industry who are really over the last four or five years have ramped up their involvement. Um, so your BMWs, um, your, your MasterCards, your Visas, they're, 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 they're getting involved in the industry more and more, which results in higher production value, more eyeballs, shows on 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 BBC. I mean, that, that organization I talked about 
before Excel, they're sponsored by BT. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th th there's a lot of um, factors which has resulted in, um, you know, this, what I suppose from the outside in looks like a, a rapid growth. And it is, you know, the esports industry is growing. Um, uh, yeah, so, so the, the, it, it's um, it's a number of number of factors and, and, and different games coming on the market as well um, always has a spike in, in interest. It's uh, just thinking back to the betting question, and it's probably my poor layman brain, but my, my immediate thing when you think about betting on eSport is that there's two people playing a game of FIFA and it's like, well, I'll just throw the game, tell my mates and mates can make some money. And it's kind of like, I suppose, certainly in, in more unregulated space, but there's <clears> that same sort of stupid mentality really can't be applied to any sport, two tennis players uh, throwing a game. Well, we see it, don't we? It's well, snooker, et cetera. So it is, funny. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny how so, and, and the media, well, you can't, you can't bet on that because why can you trust two, two kids in there? Playing again. Well, I say kids; they don't have to be kids, but you know what I mean. It's funny how just the default position is well, they could throw the game, but the rally is that happens everywhere in sport anyway. Well, not everywhere, but it, it's, it, it's a common place. Yeah. It, it does, it does, um, and it's you know bets don't take place on you and me playing a game of FIFA. No. They take place on they, they take place on tournaments which are being held in you know the Mercedes Benz Arena with. You know, millions of people watching with um, huge sponsors, and and when you're going to put those events on a TO or um, it, which is is a tournament operator, um, you know that they make sure that you know that that the players can't cheat. You know that they they look at every single detail and even do dope testing, so to make sure that the players are not you know loaded up on midland. So um, just the same way as other professional sports, because if you're playing in a tournament, if you take Take the international, um, which is a, a, a big tournament for um, a game called Dota Two. The prize pool for the international uh, last actually a year before because it was cancelled last year was thirty five million dollars. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to run a tournament and the prize pool is thirty five million dollars, um, there has to be um, uh, processes in place to ensure that these players aren't going to have an edge and aren't going to be cheating. And that comes down to, you know, the booths that they play in are soundproof that they can't hear the crowd reaction over what their opponents may or may not be doing strategically. Um, that the coach doesn't have, um, you know, an audio line in to um, somebody watching live to say, okay, well, actually the pony that you're going up against is hiding behind a tree or a bush or I'm simplifying that, but, um, uh, so, so yeah. there is, you know, there, there is, I mean, I, I'm good friends with some coaches in, in the Counter-Strike scene um, and uh, they, they uh, put a lot of time and effort and energy in making sure that, you know, that, that the players don't need to cheat. But as with any sport, you're always yeah. going to have, unfortunately, bad actors which um, are going to look to cheat the system. Yeah. Um, but that's where you get referees. You know, um, I hosted a tournament in London uh, before lockdown. It was a half a million dollar tournament. And um, I spent a lot of time with the the uh, referees there. And the referees that, you know, they, 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 they both happen to be female, but um, the referees there um, take their job extremely seriously to the point where we had the stage set up and one of them stopped the game uh, uh, to make sure that because she thought that one of the players was because there was um, a, a reflective surface in the corner um, uh, off stage and she needed to sort of pause the game to make sure that that 
player wasn't able to kind of look at the reflective surface to kind of bounce back and see what the opponent teams was was doing. Um, so yeah, it's it, it does take um, extremely serious. And then the developers of the games they they do their best to ensure that you know there isn't um, any um, opportunities for malicious software to be installed or um, uh, any cheating to happen in the game. Uh, it's interesting because in some of the other podcasts I do, I'm, I'm chatting to sports people, talk about uh, psychology of, of in their sport and their mindset. And I and imagine, again, in this scenario, which is when you mentioned about someone hiding behind a bush, it's that same, same I suppose, uh, I'm sure I'm sure they probably have psychologists working with them to help them deal with the stress. One, the stress is also the, you know, tactically, I'm sure it bleeds into ta- tactics and things like that as well. They, they have sleep psychologists. There's a um, uh, there's a friend of mine. He, he based down in South Africa, and, and he specialises in um, sleep um, uh, analysis for esports players, um, and making sure that these guys, you know, then they're, they're eating right, they're sleeping right. Because if you're going to perform at a high level and be able to communicate with your team members. Um, and playing in tournaments worth millions and millions of dollars, um, the team owner, just the same as any other sport or organization, wants to know you're performing at your optimal level. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and but, but the psychology does does play a big part of it as well. I mean, I've I've known players who have performed exceptionally well um, on scrims, and scrims is uh, sort of practice, and. Um, and when they've been up on stage and they're you know 17 years old, they're playing live. They've got millions of people watching them from around the world, 50,000 people in a stadium watching them, and they've just bottled it. You know, they, they've they've not been able to handle that sort of level of, of pressure. Um, so big organisations and even the smaller tier two and tier three and lower organisations, they understand the importance of providing these young um, uh, men and women the opportunity to uh, be able to. Um, play the games and play it professionally, but also that their health and well-being is 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 um, uh, paramount and looked yeah. after and making sure that, you know, there's avoiding burnout, that, uh, uh, you know, opportunities to give them support to help reduce stress is, is always there. Um, it's gone from, from growing up and watching it um, in the internet cafe that you would just get a load of high-end PCs, throw a load of gamers at it, make sure they're fed and watered with Monster Munch and, and, <laughs> and cans of Coke and come out when you're good enough. Yeah. I don't care if you play for 23 hours a day. Um, it's it's moved way, way beyond that. Right, right. Um, and if you look at someone like Excel, yeah, you look at somebody like Excel, they're, they're based in the bowels of Twickenham Stadium. And and the, the, one of the, you know, the clear benefits of that is that they can tap into the support network of the rugby rugby training. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's amazing. So there's a lot more um, substance, I suppose, that goes into esports that maybe people outside of the industry um, are not, um, uh, you know, they're not they're, they're not familiar with. So so now uh, you're working with Digital Isle of Man. Perhaps provide listeners some, you know, that opportunity when it came up. I'm sure it was very exciting. What 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 now is the uh, is the goal and obviously the right to maybe talk a bit as well about the regulated space here and what what Alan PLC and yourself are, are looking to, to do so the the opportunity to to be head of esports for um uh, digital isle of man and, and represent the government and the island in this space is 
you know, I'll be honest. I mean, it was a dream come true. I mean, I, very, very passionate about the art of man, you know, I'm a Manx through and through, but also, um, uh, you know, that, that passion is rivaled with, you know, my, my love for esports. So, um, the, the opportunity, you know, came up and I had to apply it just the same way as anybody would, but, um, uh, the, the, what the island was looking to do was, you know, we've got a great track record, as I'm sure maybe some of your listeners know, in regulating high-risk industries. You know, whether or not it's 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 not just betting and gambling. You know, we've got the work that we've done as a as a financial centre in the the life insurance in shipping. Um, you know, we're very good at regulating these industries, and the esports industry is is unregulated. You know, um, and having spent time, you know, as a fan and, and as a you know, uh, a supporter of the industry and, and built up good relationships with players and org owners. I've been able to identify and experience some of the pain points that they've had playing in tournaments in certain countries that, um, you know, they've not been paid on time or in full. You know, they've played in a, in a tournament and they've been given a big novelty check for a photo shoot. And um, but ultimately it's been a case of, OK, we'll come back in nine months for that for that prize money because we've spent it. Um, because there's no regulation to say that we have to effectively, you know, pay that out on time and in full and be held accountable for that. Um, uh, other other issues as well that I thought thought that could really benefit from uh, being being regulated in a way that helps grow the industry and not not put shackles on it, you know, and and and, uh, and we've seen that with the betting and the gambling licenses here on the island. Um, um, so the Isle of Man, you know, you know, the, the island government sort of said, well, look, this industry is happening, whether or not we like it or not. Um, we need somebody that lives and breathes esports and understands that world, but also understands the regulatory side of things and understands and has, again, can feel comfortable in having those translation questions and, and answers with uh, different industries. So um, threw my hat in the ring and, and, and fortunate that you know that they that they decided to, to to take me on for the role. Um, and you know, I've I've spent my time since I landed, which is still fairly fresh. It was August last year. Um, we're working with the regulator um, on what we can do from a regulatory size, but also um, a lot of my time is 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 spent from a grassroots side of things. So as as anybody who's listening, um, who's uh, you know an avid sports fan, forgetting about esports, um, but as an avid sports fan, they will understand the importance of grassroots and understanding the importance of supporting this new generation coming into that sport and providing the facilities and the services for them to play in a safe environment, have access to um, uh, uh, you know advancement paths um, and coaches and the equipment. Um, being able to represent the island um, uh, is something that I think is, you know, one of the most exciting things for me uh, in that um, uh, seeing young girls, young guys who are, you know, keen to get involved in playing um, professional esports um, and having seen what we've done with cycling, having seen what we've done in, in snowboarding, you know, we've, we've got no snow here, but we've yeah. got, you know, a good track record in, in um, whether or not it's Zoe. And now you've got Brandon, who's Zoe's um, a, a, a protege um, from the island. Um, and he's part of Team GB snowboarding. Um, and I think, you know, it's it, it's not a coincidence, really, that the island is very good at generating Olympic level athletes. 
you know we know how to get behind sporting potential um and it's it's very important for me to be able to focus some of my time on how we can do that and utilize that on the island in in, in an esports capacity um as well as all the other benefits of being able to play in a safe environment with their friends and and um so so you know part of my my, my role is is flying the flag of the island that look, we're coming into this esports space authentically i mean it's a, a word i use a lot to the point where it's joked around the office that you know it's um there's a tally for the amount of times in a day that i use the word authenticity and authentic when i'm on calls about you know esports and speaking to people off island but it, it resonates so much with those in the esports world and when I'm talking to esports organizations from a regulatory point of view and say, look, you know, you should come to the island and, and uh, be involved in these talks from a regulatory side, they, and sometimes this is difficult for people outside the esports industry to understand the value of this, but they will hand on heart every time ask me what we're doing in our grassroots space. You know, I, I, I may be an org owner who owns a 25 million uh, uh, dollar esports organization or a hundred million dollar esports organization, um, they, they they will all ask the same question. You know, what what have you got going in your back garden to support the future generation? And the reason it's so important for them, and so important for those in the industry, is that they can remember when they were in those internet cafes. They can remember this industry before it was called esports, when they didn't have two pennies to rub together, um, but they were still you know, growing this industry and how important that is to support this new generation coming up. So on the island, you know, I'm excited to be able to, to help activate some of these things here on the island from a grassroots point of view. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. And if they're committing to the Isle of Man as well, it shows commitment from Isle of Man's perspective that it's not, I wouldn't say not necessarily all about business. It's all about, like you say, supporting that grassroots element of it uh, and showing showing the full buy-in. So, in regard to a regulatory position, where are where are the where do the Alaman sit in regard to regulation and in esports? So, we've already got a very robust regulation when it comes to esports betting. Which, as I said, you've got Rivalry, Lookbox, Unicorn, um, other betting operators here that purely focus on esports and they come here um, and their, their license is seen as a gold standard in the in the betting world and and and, and in the esports world as well um, so with regards to regulating the other aspects of esports we're in the stages of um, conversations with the key stakeholders i've been very fortunate um, coming back around to when we started this conversation very fortunate to now tap into you know, my friends and connections within the esports industry who've gone on to run tournament operators or um, uh, developers of, of these games um, to invite them to the table to say, look, if we're going to craft this regulation, if we're going to um, uh, go to market with an esports regulation outside of the betting side of things, we want to make sure it's done authentically. Um, we want to make sure it's fit for purpose, it's going to support the industry. Um, so with regards to answer to your question where we are, we're in advanced stages of, of, of conversations with a lot of these key stakeholders to be able to share their pain points with myself and the regulator here on the island. And once, as we gather that information, we're able to, to, to craft a regulation which is not only fit for purpose, which will, but it will be robust and it will be recognized in the esports industry as you know, that same gold standard that we've got with our shipping and our betting. Um, licenses um 
and and they're exciting conversations to have because when when you have those conversations with with these key stakeholders and get them to come to the table they also want to know about the art of man as well and the other offerings and whether or not that's corporate structuring or it's you know coming and, and setting up a business here on the island and and being supported from whether or not it's it's a startup space or it's a back office space because there's so many other moving parts that esports organizations are crying out for um it's been interesting to see over the last five six years this shift in um a, a, a approach from the, those in the esports industry from keeping it to themselves and being look we've built this industry we don't need support you know it's our industry to actually you know if we're going to continue to grow we need support from from lawyers from from banks we need to have good conversations with these because we need to be able to have methods to be able to pay our players um, uh, as swiftly as possible. Because if you imagine you've got an esports organization which has players scattered all over around the world, playing in different tournaments, they have visa requirements, you know, moving from one country to the next. Um, and we've got, you know, on the island, we've got a really good track record in, in managing those back office things, whether it's shipping industry, you know, you've got crew uh, going from one country to the next. That crew needs to be paid. That crew will have equipment that is bringing in. Um, and that's the same way for a traveling esports, that kind of traveling circus sort of model. Um, and then, so, so there's a lot of um, uh, synergies that the island has. And it's great to have these sort of opportunities to be on your podcast, but also to talk to other local businesses. When I, when I talk to them about the esports industry beyond that kid they saw on television playing Fortnite and winning all that money, you go beyond that and they think, well, actually we already have services or have products that we're already doing for the shipping industry, or the betting industry yeah. uh, or other industries that with a little bit of support and knowledge, we can help that pain point within the esports industry. Yeah. Um, and that light bulb moment going off yeah. is, is, is great. Yeah. So, so, uh, and, and it must be good as well to, to talk about the stakeholders for them to be able to sit with a regulator and say and talk about really and help mold what they're looking for. That must be uh, you must get positive feedback from that rather than kind of like a, a regulation just coming in and dumping a load of regulations and go and crack on. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, dude. Because just the, the, you know some of the positive conversations I've had with these guys has been, um, you know, they've never actually been able to have a conversation with a regulator before. Some of them didn't even know exactly what a regulator did. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, so being able to have that conversation with these, these guys and to facilitate that conversation uh, has been, you know, really rewarding and been really positive. And then, you know, the spinoff of that is, is they see the Isle of Man as, as a forward thinking um, jurisdiction that is coming at this with um, authenticity. There's, I think we want to tally of three. I've said that now, but um, <laughs> it, it comes, it, it, it comes at the, you know, <laughs> it comes at the industry um, with, you know, the right approach that, that they see and, and that gives them comfort that they, if they want to do business here on the island, they, you know, it's, it's a welcoming environment. Yeah. Um, not just trying to wring them out for as much cash as they can get because it's the, the hottest thing at the moment. You know, esports is is booming is one of the most used phrases I've seen in, in, in articles over the last 12 months. Esports is booming, esports is booming. But from, from those in the industry and those that work in the industry, um, it's sometimes, you know, a, a bit of a trigger to see that in the yeah. esports industry has been around for a while. Um, and, and people like, I mean, like ourselves and where I work, 
you know, perhaps one of those peripheral firms that have the ability to maybe interact with the, with the industry for service providers for pe- for people out there that perhaps are in might be lawyers as well things like that 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 want to maybe just start with a kind of outside of this podcast obviously esports one hundred and one and start to go down a rabbit hole learning more what's kind of tips or areas or places to point people is that to go with just YouTube, sign up to, you know, subscribe to magazines, et cetera, online newsletters to, to learn more, phone you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the, I, I'd say a few recommendations on that one. So they could go to, um, uh, there's a few websites from a B2B, a business side of things that, that, that look after esports. So you've got esports insider, uh, esports insider.com. Uh, you've got, uh, Dexerto, which is D-E-X-E-R-T-O. Um, and there's sections there that focus on the business side of things. And they, they cover things like partnership activations. Um, and they've, they've, they've got all sorts of articles, which is um, written, you know, you, you, if you're not in the esports and you're learning, but you're, st- you know, a lawyer used that as an example, um, you can understand the opportunities by reading those articles for you and your firm, um, rather than just diving into a YouTube or a Twitch channel and just being overwhelmed. Um, I'd, I'd recommend um, from a, I, I find that, that um, there are still people that um, are afraid of, of catching geek it's probably not the right terminology to use as we're going through a pandemic but but you know they they're interested in learning but they, they they're afraid if they put their hand up and say well actually i do play um i still play tomb raider or i still play you know yeah, um uh, pac-man and but i don't want to admit that i don't want to admit it to, to my colleagues or, or or my friends that i do that um but but not being afraid to to do that because the world is very different now that if you admit you're playing video games and you enjoy video games, um, you're not going to get, um, you know, labeled or ridiculed as maybe you did sort of 20, 25 years ago. Um, and there's so many opportunities when you, you step into the space and, and whatever game you're into, um, there, there'll be, you know, a fan base there and there's a game for everybody as well. And, and you could learn so much more by um, playing the game. And then also it gives you a pathway then to start watching that game being played on Twitch. And right. Twitch is the main platform for, for streaming games, not just video games, but but mainly video games. Um, and that will give you sort of a, a comfort zone because if you're watching people play a game that you like on this platform, um, rather than just going in totally cold. Um, so, so, and then there's certain personalities, you know, to, to, to follow if you use social media and you use Twitch as an example. Um, there's a friend of mine, Adam Fitch. He, he's a journalist for um, esports and uh, he, you know, he, he's somebody that you would be able to follow and, yeah. and, and see and he spotlights on different industry um, and, and the B2B side of things um, within esports. Um, but then, and also not being afraid to ask, like like to kind of summarize the last point that you said, they're not being afraid to ask and pick up the phone to myself. So if if you are, you know, if you are the man, especially pick up the phone, but even, you know, outside of the island. Um, and, and what, you know, you'll find is, is most people in the esports industry are very open and welcoming of people wanting to learn about their space. Yeah. So, uh, connecting with them on LinkedIn is, is, you know, there's a lot of people on LinkedIn in the esports space yeah. from the business side. Um, cause there is, again, they want to learn from, from lawyers, from corporate service providers, from, 
nutritionists, you know, from traditional sports. So um, it's not being afraid to kind of reach out and ask. And and if you're seen as bringing value into esports, you'll be very welcomed. Yeah. If you bring value, put value in before you take value out, then you'll be welcomed with open arms. Yeah. Right. Okay. And just a, maybe a couple of couple of final questions before we wrap up. Uh, what's your favourite game at the moment? Oh, good question, man. Um, I'm actually, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with Fortnite. Um, and while, so Fortnite is um, a fantastic game for me to play with my my youngest. You know, it, when, I, I, as with most people that work in, um, say again? Because you can smash him. <laughs> no, it's, it's the total opposite, in fact. I mean, he, he, he there's a term used in esports called carry, and, and he carries me. Oh, right. um, and it's i'm in talks with a number of coaches calling in favors to say look i you know my 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 son's got massive potential he's a fantastic player i'd love to help you coach him so i enjoy that because it's an opportunity for me to play play with him and and as most people that work in you know different industries i play i play less games than i ever have now now i work in this role people sometimes say oh you get to play games i'm far from it you know a lot of my time is writing reports is uh, you know putting presentations together, so I play less games than I ever have. Um, from an, an esports title, it's probably Hearthstone. So Hearthstone is um, it's a card game, a collectible card game. It's a digital card game, and um, it's something that I played a lot when I was traveling because I can play it on my tablet, I can play it on my phone, and when I'm stuck in an airport um, and waiting for the fog to clear to come home, I can um, I, I can play some rounds of Hearthstone and. Um, so I, I I play that a fair bit, um, but there's so many games coming on. I mean, games to watch. You know, I, I'm a massive Counter Strike fan, and um, I enjoy. I've I've got an org that I follow, just the same way as people will have. You know, they might be fans of Manchester United or Liverpool, Everton. So the org that I follow um, is a Swedish org, um, and I've followed them for a number of years. And I'm very passionate about that particular organisation. And they recently sold their uh, roster, um, and they've taken on. It's like the worst kept secret, kept secret in esports at the moment. Today, around six, they're going to announce their new Brazilian roster. You know, they've picked up some five Brazilian players that are some of the best in the world. So that's there's a there's a lot going on in that space, and it's I can get very passionate when watching yeah. those guys play. And, and um, so, yeah, in answer to your question, there's, there's a few games I play. What about yourself? No, I must say I'm not a gamer. Uh, I just haven't got the patience. Uh, I used to play. Uh, Commando on the C6 command, uh, Commodore 64. That's about as far as my... Uh, okay. It was when my parents came home, at probably the age of me, my sister said, probably at the age of eight, said to my parents, they said, we're going to get you a computer for Christmas. And we said, don't get us a VIX-20 because mm-hmm. they're rubbish. Get us a Commodore 64. <laughs> and of course, they came home with a, with a VIX-20. So, uh, so yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm not not really a, a, a gamer. I just haven't got the patience for it. Uh, struggling, yeah, struggle to have the patience. So solitaire. Would you ever look to? Yes. <laughs> Would you ever look to get involved in um, in some of the cycling side of things? Yeah. Well, for, so funny you say that. Because so yeah, with Zwift. So a good friend that I co-host another podcast with. He's he's on a team. Uh, he rides. Mm-hmm. You know, in Matt, he rides. Uh, he rides for them. I've always I've used it, but never to race. And funny enough, I did my first re- football race at the weekend. I say race. I met a load of mates online, but we raced. It's the first time I've properly raced on. In fact, no, that's a lie because I did race the next day. And uh, yeah, I could see, in fairness, I did actually enjoy it, uh, apart from the pain of 
an hour on the limit. But yeah, uh, and you can see that more. I suppose that that's obviously going to happen more and more. You see Zwift, the cycling one, yeah. getting more and more uh, professional. Uh, well, it's yeah. Well, people pay to do it now, so. Mm-hmm. Often when I think of esports, that's normally in fairness where my if somebody said esport, I'd think of Zwift. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's obviously like you say, from chess to video games to uh, I'm sure there'll be people running on treadmills. Well, I'm sure that's going on already. Things like that. Oh, so Zwift has a um, uh, uh, a treadmill module, yeah. doesn't it? You can you can go on the treadmill on Zwift yeah. as well. And yeah, it's um, it's, it's yeah I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the biggest trends at the moment, I mean, you've got mobile esports, so people playing esports titles on their mobile, um, and which is is usually that sort of reaction you just had there with regards to what I say, you know, the biggest trend is going to be mobile esports. But um, the, the, the reason being is, is that um, it's, it's the barrier of entry. So you, you've got a smaller barrier of entry. So if you want to play some professional sports, like I, I've mentioned Counter-Strike, You'd need to have an investment in a, in a gaming rig and, uh, you know, a, a professional gaming keyboard and gaming mouse. And uh, whereas with some other titles like uh, PUBG Mobile is, is probably the leading one, um, you just need a phone. And, and it's been really popular in emerging countries, so especially down in, 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 uh, in India, in Africa, um, because you can, you know, people down there, the young gamers, they can't afford a PlayStation 5. They can't afford a, a big gaming rig, but they've got, uh, iPhones and, yeah. and, and um, being able to sort of still compete and and the PUBG Corporation they put a lot into that grassroots space okay. you know they put a lot of money into supporting that that ecosystem of those young um, you know young men and women who want to play professional esports and they want to play on that platform and have a pathway um, uh, to playing in big tournaments and getting you know winning big prize money but also being able to play with other people around the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mobile esports is definitely um, uh, you know the big trend for this year. Um, yeah. And I just thought connectivity would be the issue with because I presume you can't hire high hire hardwire in a cable. So therefore, you're somewhat reliant on. I don't know. I always think with gaming because you've got a hard line into your computer that the, mm-hmm. the, drop, the drops are. Are very rare whereby the internet and if you with some local providers on the Alaman, they're not the greatest, so let alone India or Africa. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, we're making improvements. This is where I throw my government hat firmly on and support my colleagues in the infrastructure side of things. Yeah, yeah, maybe I don't know. No, but <laughs> in Africa, I think in places like that to play, but I guess again, maybe it's it, it's more the grassroots and more probably like you say, friends playing stage and. It's growing and it's taking. It's on this path, mm. similar that we've seen in esports in general. And it's just in an earlier grassroots phase. Yeah. So, um, I'd say so, but but don't forget. I mean, some of those countries they use their mobiles for everything. They yeah. they they use it in you know in placement of their banks. Yeah. So connectivity is surprisingly advanced in some places that you may not think because that's what they use for making payments, getting paid. Uh, shopping is all done on their mobile phone Um, and um, you've got likes of Facebook sending out these balloons for internet connectivity and making sure that everybody is connected Um, uh, so so many sports but it also means you know outside of countries like that you know it's very easy to engage so like the game I talked about um, uh, Hearthstone Um, I can play it on on a PC I can play it on my laptop but 
it's great for me to be able to play um, competitively on my phone in an airport or yeah. on the sofa um, and and still enjoy, you know, playing competitively in, in that environment. Um, uh, so, yeah, lo- lots, lots of moving parts and, and yeah. lots of opportunities in that space. Well, th- thanks for joining us today. Just to finish off, if people, uh, or the best way to reach out to yourself and to get more information, I suppose, from the Alaman angle as well. I'd say, um, you know, you can go onto the Digital Island website. I need to push that first and foremost. Um, and we've got a dedicated page on there for, from an esports point of view. Um, the other side is LinkedIn. You kind of, that's my, my, you know, my home from away from home in the digital space. So I'm very active on LinkedIn, sharing articles on esports, sharing my thoughts um, and, and engaging in conversation. So if somebody does, you know, they're off island. Obviously, if they're on island, they can pick up the phone and, and or even rock up to the digital agency and come and have a chat with me. But um, if it's off island, absolutely look me up on LinkedIn um, and you know send me a, a request, and I'm more than happy to um, to engage and answer any questions that they've got about the industry. Super, super. Thanks for joining me today. Really interesting. Uh, oh, it's cool. Thank not you. Of what's going on on the Isle of Man, and obviously for yourself and doing a job you're very passionate about as well. So, no, appreciate your time today. Thanks, man. I really appreciate, you know, having me on and you've had some great guests um, uh, on this show. So, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for you to, to ask me on. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Absolutely. Pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone.